Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. What is up, Venue Church? My name is Nate Puccini, and I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I help lead a church called Substance. And I'm so excited the weekend after Easter, I get the chance to be with you. I wanted to let you know that following the worship experience, I have a challenge for you for what God wants to do this fall in Airdrie through your church. And so I wanna invite you out to that. And I also just wanted to let you know, you have an amazing pastor. He is an amazing friend. He is an amazing leader, and it's been such a privilege and honor for me to get to know him and learn from him this last year. I think he's encouraged me more than I've encouraged him, and so I just cannot wait to get up there and spend some time with you. But with that being said, looking forward to being with you that week. We'll see you soon. I said I had a treat for you all after Easter. I'm going to reward you by bringing this awesome guy in to preach the weekend after Easter. Now, Easter, are you coming to Easter? Are you signed up at the box office to help us put on this huge event for the city? Just like when you invite the, your neighbor, you got to take it personally. I'm personally offended that my neighbors don't all come to church. And so you got to take it personally and get people to church. Get people, I mean, if they just walked in, they could feel the presence of God just like you felt it this morning. You feel the person of the Holy Spirit who can come and free you from your sin and give you hope and peace. So invite them to the family event, but then invite them to church. If you're like, hey, you're already going to be in the parking lot. You might as well just come on over to church. And that's going to be awesome. And the weekend after, my buddy Nate Pacini is going to be, he's the executive of Substance Church. He's going to come and download something to you. And so here's what I would say. If you're not on the dream team, because right after church, we're going to do an all-church dream team. So if you are on the dream team, we are going to have a special thing for you with Pastor Nate afterwards. So what we're going to do is we're going to offer NXT1 today. It's not too late to get on the dream team. Like If you're an NXT number one, just be like, sign me up to the dream team. I want in on this thing. And uh, we'll feed you that weekend after Easter, and that's going to be incredible. So, Welcome to a, a new series that we're doing today called Live, Die, Repeat. Live, Die, Repeat. Yeah. Live, Die, Repeat. Um, I think in our human psyche, we want live, 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 repeat. But there's something about um, the life and death cycle that you need to understand that God doesn't see it the way that you see it. Live, die, repeat. If you would get comfortable with his concept of the live, die, repeat cycle, you'd quit striving so much in your life. Live, die, repeat. Live, die, repeat. Uh, I've called today's sermon The Thing Between Us. Live, die, repeat. The thing between us. It's the space in between us and God that kills us. It's the space between you and your people that's killing you. There's something in that space. There wasn't supposed to be a space, and there's something in that space that's killing you. And until you let it go, but the beautiful thing about it is that when you do finally let that thing go, then you get the community that you want. Then you get the connection with God. Then you get the connection with people that you really want. Live, die, repeat. But, but you got to let go of something. Something's got, got to go down and die. Before the crucifixion, the, uh, the book of John records that Jesus was saying this to some of his people. He said, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. Oh, Jesus, we don't want to talk about death. Like, just give me everything I want. It's Christmas morning every morning. His disciples just could not get into their hearts into his head. He kept telling them, like, guys, I have to go and be crucified. Finally, he's like, look, I'm going to be crucified on a cross. And everybody's like, 
There's something about the live, die, repeat cycle that, that you've got to start becoming comfortable with because that is the way of Christ. That is the way that God sees the world. We, we look at death and we think that death is the end of all things. And he looks at death and says, it's the beginning of all things. We don't let go of things because we're like, if I let go, then that thing's going to know. And he's like, here's, I'm just going to, I'm going to read the scripture and then I'm going to give you something that I, I'm going to be preaching this whole series. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Don't miss that part there. Unless it falls into the ground and dies. Until you let go of it and it gets planted in the earth and it dies. Get this. It remains alone. So, So God can't resurrect something you've got on life support. Now, there's something that he wants to resurrect in your life and in my life, but until you pull the plug on life support, because you've got it on life support, it's just a flesh wound, Monty Python. It's still just a flesh wound. You got no arms and no legs, it's still just a flesh wound, and it's still somehow hanging on. But until you let go, you can't let God. God can't resurrect something that's not dead. That's what qualifies for resurrection. Now, we look at God and we're like, okay, but I want you to resurrect this thing in this way, and I want you to, and there's consequences of sin, and how does all of this work? But here's the thing. I want it to happen this way, God. I want my marriage to come back together in this way. And God's like, until it falls into the ground and dies, it will remain alone. And that's what I want you to understand today. It will remain alone. You will remain alone until you let go of the thing that's in the space between you. It remains alone. Until it, something in, in between you dies and you let go of it, you'll be alone. That's, that's not what God intended for you. Until you let go of it. The thing between you. What, what is between you and your people? What is between you and God? The thing between my, my wife and my little girl are the dishes that the little girl leaves in the basement. I don't think she does it on purpose. I don't know. She's just the last kid, man. She just doesn't think about it all that much. She takes a bowl of cereal down and leaves it there. She eats most of it, but I've, I've uh, recently found that what she's been doing is I open the fridge door and see, going to the dishwasher and putting your dishes away is like, it's kind of a multi-step process, right? So you got to walk over to the dishwasher with your bowl. And then because, because she never finishes it all because the, her favorite spoon it's just the world's tiniest teaspoon, and it can fit one Cheerio on it. And so she never finishes a bowl of Cheerios because her arms probably get tired because it's just like one after the other after the other. And she's got this little teaspoon with a little purple jewel on, on the handle, so we know it's her. And she just eats these one at a time, just one at a time. And then what I've noticed is that she, you got to walk over to the dishwasher. First, you have to like dump this in the sink and turn the carburetor on, or maybe not. We'd rather hurt. She didn't do that, probably, but dump it in the sink, and then you got to open the dishwasher, and then you got to pull the racks up, then you got to put the bowl, and then you got to pull the next rack and put the thing, and then you got to close the dishwasher. It's just like, for Neela, this is going to take forever. It's just, I don't have this kind of time in my life. So what she's discovered is that, that, and what we've been finding is she just opens the fridge door now and puts it in there. One, two, three, done. Three steps, and it's done. And we know it's her because it's her favorite spoon. I called Neela up the stairs one day because uh, I'm like, Neela, a crime's been committed in the kitchen. 
She's like, yes. So she runs up the stairs and leaves her bowl downstairs probably, right? This is needless life. She's downstairs and she's watching TV. She's watching the benefits of having a relationship with mom. She's eating the food that mom bought in the bowl that mom bought, watching the TV that mom paid for, watching programming that mom pays for. She's enjoying the benefits and getting distracted by the benefits. Somebody's kind of figuring out where this is going. Distracted by the benefits of marriage. No, sorry. The, distracted by the benefits of living in the house. The benefits of the relationship with mom until mom walks down the stairs. The more TV she watches, the quieter mom's voice gets in her head. Put the dishes away, Neela. Why are the dishes not putting away? Every dish you take downstairs, put away, Neela. And I called her upstairs. I'm like, Neela, crime's been committed. She jumps upstairs, right? Leaving dishes behind her. She runs upstairs, and I'm like, Neela, look at this empty yogurt container with somebody's favorite spoon in it. Purple jewel on the world's smallest spoon. I said, who do you think this belongs to? She looks. Exhibit B, I said. The plate beside her with some leftover crusts of bread. Who do you suppose belongs, that belongs to? Me. on the, the, the furthest side of the island from the dishwasher, but the closest to the basement door. Like, hey, I almost got it there. But then mom makes a mistake of going down into the basement. And now there's like 14 Cheerio bowls in the basement, just like tucked away. And Neela's gone bowl blind, dish blind. And she's watching TV. She doesn't know anything's wrong until the footsteps start coming down the stairs. And then mom comes in. And then all the neighbors know what's going on in our house, too. <laughs> Neela, how many times? <laughs> See, we have these things called house rules. House rules. There are house rules if you live in our country. So if you come from someplace else and you want to be a citizen of Canada, there are these house rules. Now, it's interesting that you don't become a citizen because you can keep the house rules. No, the citizenship comes first. So catch this. You want to belong in a family. Okay, you belong in the family first. Neela, we, Neela did not have a vote about what family she was going to be born into. That was between her mom and I. You know, good old Denzel up in the house here. But, but that was between your mom and I. You had nothing to say about that. If you come into a new company, you don't come into the company and they have house rules and a code of conduct and a way to do things and a culture and this is what we do and this is what we don't do. This is what we value. This is what we don't value. And you don't come in because you can keep house rules. No, no, no. The relationship starts first. If, if you have a relationship with our government and you, and you earn wages here, there's this thing called paying your taxes. If you want to A, stay out of jail but B, drive on the roads that everybody pays for and go to the hospitals and have your kids in the schools. There are these house rules that you subscribe to, but it's very interesting that you probably made the money before you could obey the house rules. You, you had a job before that. Does that make sense? The house rules. In a church, there are these things called house rules. House rules. In past church cultures, we maybe made a mistake because we wanted everybody to obey and follow the house rules before they came into the house. <laughs> Like, yeah, if you, if you look the way that we look, and if you think the way that we think, and if you talk the way that, that we talk, then you can come. Well, that's not the way it started, a relationship with God. You didn't start a relationship with God. Did, 
didn't look at you and be like, oh, you're already keeping the rules. Okay, that's what makes a relationship. No, no, no. What's the purpose of the house rules? Because we, we kick and, and we don't like it. And so and you're a teenager and your, your dad makes a rule or there's a curfew and you're just like, you know, you know, and what happens is you start living in the blessing of the country, blessing of the, and, and you don't understand the purpose of the house rules. And the purpose of the house rules is, is simply this. It's to keep the relationship together. It didn't make it. It didn't start it. That's not how relationships start. It keeps the relationship Together, it keeps it working. It's oil in the machine. Here's what you do. Here's what I do. Here are the boundaries that we both subscribe to. Oh, that rhymed. It didn't make the, the relationship. It keeps the relationship. And every time Neela leaves dishes downstairs, it puts something in between her relationship and her mom. But the purpose of the house rules is that it's supposed to, to free you up so that there's nothing between you and people. There's nothing between you and God. You, you come to church and everything's paid for, right? Just not by you. You come into a family and all you can do is like eat and sleep and poop. That's all you got. You're a consumer. You're a cute little consumer that slobbers on everything. You don't bring anything to the family yet. But as you grow up, I'll bet you you have to take the garbage out occasionally. I'll bet you have to start taking care of your brothers. I bet you have some dishes in the... There's some things that you need to start doing or the relationships that you have will stop working. And when you don't understand and respect the house rules, you can come to church and people come to church for a whole year and, and some people never think to give any money. But who do you think pays for the crafts that your kids are doing? Who do you think pays for the lights to stay on here? I mean, we can meet under a tree if you want. But you wouldn't come. I mean, we could. I mean, we could, we could live in a mud hut if I didn't want to go to work and that's my part of obeying the house rules and keeping the house rules. I, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't need to drive a car. We could ride bikes everywhere. The house rules. What are the purpose of the house rules? Sooner or later, you have to start Pulling your weight, you have to start being a provider, not just a consumer. The house rules. The house rules. What happens is, as time goes on, see, when you're dating somebody, you're in your best behavior. You know, you wear little bow ties and stuff like that. You go out and buy a bow tie to wear it on a date. You know, you're impressing the other person, but then you get married. Now, how many times do you hear this? Like, hey, I'm married, man. I don't have to impress her anymore. Right, congratulations. I don't have to treat them nice anymore. I can't. What happens is we start, we start seeing ourselves, you know, the house rules, and then we start wanting to control the house rules, like I'll make the rules for you, and I'll make the rules for me, right? And then we start like, you know, you'll notice something will creep in. You start taking a little bit on your taxes. You start shaving a little bit off. You, you stop being as honest, like, well, you know, this was kind of a trip for work, but maybe it wasn't. And, and then you start, you start filtering information to the other person. Well, they don't really need to know this anymore. Um, I'll decide what they know and, and what they don't know. And before you know it, uh, the truth is no longer the truth anymore. And things start piling up in between you. Because you start seeing yourself as above the house rules. Then you start feeling unconnected and unloved. Because the things between you, it's not like the other person doesn't love you anymore. I, I don't know what your story is, but what happens is that love has no place to land. Because it's bouncing off of all of this other stuff in the middle. 
And there's just layer upon layer upon layer because we, we don't understand, we don't respect the house rules. And things just start to slide in our relationship. Even in paradise, there were house rules. See, it began with Adam and Eve, and a Christ follower believes that this actually happened in some form or other. It began, and it's interesting, it began with nothing between them. And nothing between them and God. That was what God intended, and yet there were still house rules. We think that house rules are to keep us down, and they're to keep us from being free. No, no, there was all the freedom in the world back then. There was nothing between us. There wasn't even clothing between us. And all the men are like, what? Yeah, read your Bible. <laughs> it all began that way, and only in the design of God can we go back to, to that way. Not everybody being naked. <laughs> I know somebody's like, pastor said, honey. Pastor said. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He created human beings in, in his own image. So in the likeness of God, you are made in some regard like God is. Now, that doesn't mean you are God, but in some regards, you are like God. He, he made one of those things is he, he gave you a choice. He gave you a choice. You're like, well, what, what about all the sin in the world? Well, he gave you a choice. Sin is one of the choices. He gave the angels, the angels a choice. Sin, sin is one of those choices that, that you can have. Sin and righteousness is another choice that you can make. Connection, love, hate, it's a choice. The only way that God can take that away from us and take sin out of the world is to make you a robot. But robots don't love, they just do what they're programmed to do, and that wasn't what he wanted. It says in their male and female who created them, I... I I don't want to get crucified online here, but it becomes difficult when you are trying to go against your design, I think. I'm just reading what, he, what was written. Male and female, he created them. There are, I, I think, gender-specific issues that I'm going to preach about next week. Two words that most of the struggles in your life, they're kind of gender-specific, but you wouldn't have guessed it. Uh, you're going to have to come back next week <laughs> and hear that, I guess. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. It says govern the earth. Like, you're a steward of it. Take care of it. You've got to live here a long time. Take care of it. Like, rule over it. Don't let it take over. You know, like, put everything in its place and order everything right. Verse 31, then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. Genesis 3, the serpent. Now, now we're going to get to it. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. The serpent, in some way representing um, the devil, why you would have a snake in your home. I don't know. I love you, Quinn. What would possess a per person to have a snake, a representative of the devil, in their home? <laughs> Quinn lost a snake one time. You want to know where he found it? In between the mattresses. The devil just snuck right in there. 
He doesn't have it anymore. He loves Jesus now. The serpent. I mean, the only thing creepier than a serpent is a serpent that talks. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, there's a few things wrong with this. The, the first thing is, Adam, if you're in charge of that, we were talking about this in our, in our marriage small group this week, that, that a, a man's role is largely and, and maybe firstly to be a protector of, of the family, and, and a woman's is to be the nurturer. Now, it's, it's not like the man doesn't nurture and the woman doesn't protect. It's not like that, but primarily these are our responsibilities. And I got to ask, like, Eve is having this conversation with the serpent. Why is the serpent in the garden? You think that, that God would only put all the good things in the garden, but with choice, there's this other thing, and he gave the angels a choice, and I don't, I, I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why the snake was even there, but the snake was there in speaking the words of the devil. And first of all, why is this, isn't Adam in charge? But maybe Adam was distracted, you know, at the hamburger tree. <laughs> He's supposed to be guarding this, you know, like, what's in the garden, Adam. Why are you letting the snake talk to your wife? Then we see that Eve here, like, what are you talking to the serpent for at all? The Bible says flee temptation. You don't hang out with it and talk to it. The devil's smarter than you are. Why'd you go there? In the, why'd, you, why'd you go over to his house in the first place? You're not smarter than the devil. You know, flee temptation. Run away. Run away. Be like Joseph. You know, like, I'm going to leave my jacket in your hand, and I'm not coming near Hoochie Mama. Crazy person. I don't need to hang out and talk with you. You're crazy. I know what you want. And so we have these two issues. Adam, I think, is dropping the ball in the protection, and Eve is talking to the serpent. And why are you talking to a serpent? Why are you, why are you hanging out with him at work? Oh, somebody else, maybe. Yeah, I'm going to keep preaching. But the devil suggests this very interesting thing, and, and he'll do the same thing to you. Did God really say? Did God did he really say? You're not allowed to eat any of the fruit of any of the trees. Well, no, he didn't say that, did he? Did God really say that, that all sex is bad? That you're not allowed to have any fun? You start, she, in her mind is planted this seed that God doesn't want her to have something. But A, God didn't say that. Right? Uh, no. But B, we would come up with this thing that God did say something, but he didn't say that. He did give them house rules, but they're not these house rules. And so he starts calling into question God's motive, which is always a dangerous thing to do. Why don't you question your motive? You know they're not good. Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. True. God said, the first part is true, you must not eat it. True. And then she goes on to say, God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. The house rules. The house rules. Can I rag on church people a little bit? What are you going to do? You can't leave, right? Everybody get up and go to the bathroom at the same time. Church people, church, church people, you, you come out of a, a bad background, then you come into the church, and then uh, you do something that Eve, that Eve was guilty of here, because God does, definitely has house rules, like, 
you know, sleep with your neighbor's wife and don't covet and don't tell lies and don't murder. And There's definitely house rules that kind of help society when we do these things, right? And it kind of breaks us apart when we don't. kind of destroys us and kills our families if we don't. It makes sense. They're just according to our design. And, and if you do them, you will live, you know, live long and prosper. Is that a thing? I don't want to put the wrong fingers up in the air here. I can't think about it. And so what, what she does here is she's like, okay, you must not eat it. That's what the scripture says. But then she says, you also must not touch it. Why would she add that? The parents of my generation, not my parents, but the parents of my generation, they were like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, so we all came out of like, we were all drinking way too much. And so now we come into the church and now, and now what we say, I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings here. Now what we say is, is, okay, we drank too much and did a lot of stuff that we regretted. And uh, the Bible says you, you shouldn't get drunk with wine, which leads to destruction. So it doesn't say that getting drunk is a sin. Now teenagers, just hold on here. <laughs> Give me a minute. It doesn't say that getting drunk is a sin, but it says that it leads to sin. And so, so Paul the Apostle is like, okay, early church, don't get drunk. Here's a boundary. Here's a boundary. You have a, you have a speed limit here. Don't, don't go over the speed limit. Something bad is going to happen to you. So don't do that. Don't get drunk with wine because it'll lead to destruction. It'll lead to the things that your parents regretted. And so, so here's what the parents did. Because we were so afraid, or our, our parents were so afraid of uh, the kids doing what they used to do, that they then, then they just took the next, in their mind's logical step, and said, okay, we're not going to have any of it in our home. Okay, well, some of them needed to not have any of it in their home because they were alcoholics and it was a problem, right? So, you know, so don't. So don't. But then they said, but also... You're not allowed to do any of it. And so instead of like, okay, drunkenness leads to destruction, even having it or even touching it or even tasting it leads to destruction. Because what we're going to do, because we're afraid of of breaking this law of God, is that we're going to pull this law way back here. But then what happened over time was we started telling our kids, they started telling us, God hates alcohol. Well, this is very confusing if you can read the Bible. (laughs) Jesus turns water to wine. Something like... Six giant containers of it. So then in the Christian school that I grew up in, then they told me, well, because God hates alcohol, it was non-alcoholic wine. <laughs> Isn't that a thing? Isn't that the point of wine? I'm confused here. Non-alcoholic, but even in the text of the scripture, it's like, you know, even if you... You know, you brought the best wine out. You saved it till the last when all the guests have well drunk. Not, not our drunk. Teenagers. You know, like you waited until everybody's happy and then you bring out the good wine. Most people bring out the good wine first because, then, you know, after a couple of glasses, like nobody's, you know, it's all tastes great, right? Am um, I hurting your feelings here? She does something that she doesn't realize how dangerous it is. And this is what happens in your relationship between the two. You start adding rules to the other person. You start adding rules to the other person. You start adding rules. And then sooner or later over time, you start thinking that they're the same thing as what God said. Sooner or later, it's like this, what I say is the same thing as what God said. You know, you make a rule for your kids in a curfew. Set a curfew if you need to. Like 11 o'clock, you be home, high school kids at 11 o'clock. Why? Ask my dad because bad things happen after dark. They do, but you can't find that in the Bible, 11 o'clock curfew. This is God's law. You're breaking God's law if you come home five minutes after 11 o'clock. No, you break dad's law. That's bad enough if you want to eat and live indoors, but don't call it God's law. Just don't call it God's law. Sarcasm is not sin, people. 
didn't even see that one coming. I heard that one time. Sarcasm is repressed anger. I'm like, no, it's just very clever. You don't have to be mean about it. It's just clever. And if you don't get it, I'll explain it to you. Then I'll be sarcastic about that. But I love you. We're all family. We're good. Repressed anger. Then the serpent just straight up lies to her and says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman. At first, he starts doing something that her, her nature wanted him to do. He'll start asking you questions about something that you kind of want to do before he gets into the straight up lie. He doesn't start here because you'd reject him, but what he does is he starts with just a little bit. You know, a little bit of pornography. It's okay to look at pornography, just a little bit. Is it? Or is it sin? Hmm. Yes, two people think that it's sin in the church. We're going to be drinking a lot of holy water today, guys. Is that a, do we have holy water? You don't see any vampires, do you? No, I'm just kidding. God knows that your eyes, the, devil, the serpent says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And he plants the seed that is still in us today that puts space between us and God. He's not saying here, you'll be like God. You were already made in some regard in the likeness of God. What he's saying is, what he's saying is, actually, if you change the house rules, you can be as important as the house. You can not just be like God, you can be God in that you can decide morality in your own relationships. You can make the rules. And that's what we fight about. Why are you not keeping my rules? Your rules, who are you? And then you fight about them. House rules. Do you subscribe to a way of life that's outside of your control, outside of your thinking, outside of what you want in a conflict? Do the people in your relationship subscribe to something that's higher than them? Somebody else gets to judge that. Or are you just making it up as you go? No wonder we're confused. And he drops this line, your eyes will be open, meaning like you're you're not fully experienced. You're... You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, now, what he does is he does this tricky little thing in here. He's like, look. He says, knowing both good and evil. That word knowing means experiencing. So what he doesn't, right, right in there, is like knowing both good and evil. So God, now God knows both good and evil. Now God has experienced both good and evil. There's only one way to know is that if you try it. Well, how would I know of drugs if I don't try? It's, it's as old as time for us. No, no, no. Experiencing it. Now God... Yeah, God understands good and evil, but that's because he's only studied the good. He knows the counterfeit, but he's never had one. He just knows what this looks like. He just knows what the good looks like. And he has not experienced evil. And and, and the the serpent's like, okay, if you want to be like God, you actually have to experience both. And that's the only way to be like God. And ever since then, we've been trying to be like God. We've been trying to decide for ourselves and draw the lines for ourselves. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Of course she did. Of course the trees, of course temptation looks fun. And its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he he ate it too. I mean, what's he going to do? Like... She's not wearing any clothes right now. Like, what are you going to do? You want this? Yes. 
I'm only human after all. I'm human after all. It's a bit to blame on me. We see here, maybe I'll get into this next week. We see here um, in, the, in the roles between them, we see that Eve didn't let Adam protect her here. She became her own protector. And Adam wouldn't say yes to God if he had to say no to his wife. There's something, he didn't want her disapproval, but he went instead after God's disapproval and ended up in, in eventually losing both, which is what you do. He wanted so much for somebody to love him and to, that he forgot that he was responsible to obey first. Can I hear an amen? Girls, you really want him to love you, and in some way you want him to love you more than he loves God, because it makes you feel special. But we got a problem if he loves you more than he loves God. Guys, if your wife, no, 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 she should love God first, then it'll work out. This is where we get into all sorts of problems. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Fig leaves. It's a poor covering. I mean, say what you will, but um, I was thinking about this this week, but any sexuality outside of God's design will bring shame with it. There's, there's no other outcome. There's no other, other way if you go against your design. Shame comes with it. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. I said, Mom, the footsteps come down the stairs. The footsteps... They have an opportunity, like Neela has. Every time mom comes down, an opportunity to do what? To pretend that, I mean, the blindness, that, that all the dishes are there. And there's so many of them. The blindness is lifted, if only for a moment. And then we all, as, as children of God, have an opportunity to do two things. And they got it wrong. It says, they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you, not eat, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I have commanded you not to eat? In this moment here, I, I still wonder if they hadn't been hiding I wonder if Adam would have just taken Eve by the hand and just walked over to where God was walking and said, Hey, can anything be done for us? Here's what happened. There's so much more grace to be applied. I believe that there's grace that could be applied in your life right now. But if you make God come and find you, if you make your wife come and find you, if you... Make your boss come and find you. We hide. We, we hide from God as if he doesn't know, but we hide because at least it gives us a measure of control. We hide because God's like, who told you you were naked? Who told you that vulnerability was supposed to make you feel bad? Who told you? That there were supposed to be layers between us. Who told you to try to cover yourself? Who told you to protect yourself from me? Who told you? 
Who suggested your own desires would not make a fool of you in the end? Who told you? See, when you subscribe to the house rules of God and you subscribe to the rules in your family and at, at work and in your home, what happens is the vulnerability that you're supposed to live your life in will actually start feeling safer to you. Does that make sense? Vulnerability will feel safe. Truth will feel safe. Not hiding. Why do we feel safe when we're hiding, when we're covering up, when we're... It doesn't last. It gives no place for love and connection to land. It gives no place for forgiveness to land because we're not asking for it because we're hiding away from it. We're hiding away from the mercy of God. And what happens in our lives is that there are, are, there's something in your life right now that God's going to ask you for today. You've got an apple between you and your spouse. I, I don't know if the fruit was an apple, but let's say that it was an apple. If it was a hamburger, Adam would have been in the tree, but it wasn't. <laughs> There's an apple between you and God. There's an apple between you and somebody that until that, that, until it goes down in the ground and dies, you will remain alone. You will end up alone. Unless that thing goes down into the ground and you let go of it and, and it dies. It's like that, that show The Simpsons. Marge wants to go to, uh, to the ballet, which Homer thinks is, um, is bears with little hats riding around in cars to circus music. That's what he thought the ballet was, and that's why he said yes. But at work, he's leaving work, and he wants a soda from the machine, and he doesn't have any change, and so he just puts his arm up in the machine to try to get the soda out the machine. Do you know what the Simpsons are? Do y'all live in a, uh, a Christian bubble? And then he's dragging the machine to try to get home and try to make it to the ballet, which he doesn't really want to go to, but he's trapped in the machine. And then he, he stops for a breather, and there's another machine beside him. And now he's hungry. And then he calls home, and he's like, Marge, I'm trapped inside two vending machines, and I'm not going to make it to the ballet. And one of the workers there is, is gets, it's the Simpsons, so if you got kids in here, they shouldn't be in here, they should be in venue kids, but just saying. He, he moves a saw towards Homer's arms, and he's like, Homer, this is never easy to say, I'm going to have to cut your arms off to get you out of here. And Homer's like, oh, but they'll grow back, right? <laughs> and he's like, yes. <laughs> and then the other guy goes, he's got a flashlight, he's looking at the machine, he goes, Homer, are you just holding on to the can? And he goes, your point being. Now I'll say that. Are you just holding on to the apple? Your arms don't grow back, people. There comes a time in your relationship when the time runs out on it. And if you haven't let go of it on your own, it goes down. It will kill your relationship. Or you let go on, on your own and it goes down. And, and you cannot be tethered to the heart of somebody. You cannot be tethered to the heart of God and be tethered to the apple. To be tethered to that thing that you said yes to. You, you actually have to let it go and let it go down into the... And if you do, you won't be alone. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here that we would that we would let go and, and let God. And I pray, Father, that as fierce as your heart was to redeem us to you, I pray that our heart would be as fierce to, 
to let go of the dishes, Father, to just take them and put them in the dishwasher, to let go of the apple, that temptation that we fell for, that lie that we fell for. And then we said that you were okay with, but we know that you're not. Father, I pray that, that we would not make somebody come look for us. There's somebody here who's made a mistake at work, Father. We just need to go and just tell our supervisor, hey, you don't have to come find me. I'm, I'm coming in. I'm just letting you know this is what happened. Father, I, I, there's something here in between marriages that we just need to be like, hey, I just need you promise you won't be mad, but I got to tell you something. I got to get something. I have, I got a secret and I, there's something that you need to tell your, your, your mom or your dad teenagers that if you would, God would break the power of that thing off of your life. And if you're struggling with it, they'll help you with it. They'll, we'll help you with it. There's something in your life today that you need to let go of so that God's love, which is so fierce can, but we got to let go of that apple. We got to let go. We got to be fierce about that thing and, and quit putting that stuff between us and God. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.